What is up, everybody? Welcome to Opening Set, episode number four. This is your man, King Most, and riding shotgun is my dude, John Ray. It's a producer making things this doesn't, you know, disintegrate and kill you and blow you up and you sue us. And as always, follow us on all social media. Uh, we are Opening Set on SoundCloud, on MixCloud. More importantly, on the iTunes podcast. You can find us there, subscribe, rank us. But really, just tell a friend. I don't know, post it whatever you want. If it's on Twitter, if it's on Facebook, on SoundCloud itself, let your friends know. Big thanks to everyone that's been hitting us up, messaging us, saying how much they like the podcast. We are thrilled, floored, excited to give you more. All right. Uh, today's special guest, DJ Morse Code, originally from here in San Francisco, but now top gunning, killing it down in Los Angeles. He's an underground champion of DJs. You know, your favorite DJ in LA is uh, is probably a big fan of this dude. But not only that, he also plays in Vegas, New York City, Miami, one half of the production duo Pools with Mike B. He's also an instructor of DJing at Point Blank Academy down in Los Angeles. All right, so here's the thing with DJs. We don't really talk about a lot of things. And one of those things we shun is the idea, are we really happy? My man Morse Code does a really good example explaining that and putting that into context. People forget that shit, man. Like, it's really easy to forget when you're just working and working and working and like you're getting paid and you're like, this is what it's all about, right? Let's just getting paid. <laughs> I'm getting paid. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, what happened to my soul? <laughs> And some of the other things we talked about, which I really enjoyed, is that you can totally be a DJ or anybody in the year 20, whatever, and not have to be connected to the internet at all times. That's a great thing we uh, we talked about on the podcast. We also talked about having a meaningful career, you know, getting your bills paid, but also doing gigs that aren't necessarily about money. It's about, you know, being happy and being fulfilled. And lastly, I think this is another thing we kind of forget to connect the dots with as DJs and creatives in general, is that our upbringing really does have an effect and kind of shapes who we are and who we become. You know, this is kind of why we started this whole podcast is to, again, illustrate or highlight or champion, whatever you want to call it, that we as DJs, we are real well-rounded people. We're not people just stand at a laptop and play music. We actually have interests that uh, are outside of music or, you know, that continue to kind of run parallel to what we're doing. And that was a good thing uh, talking to Morse Code. He's an educator. He's, uh, again, a little adverse to technology. And some of that kind of really also we talk about self-care and trying to, you know, try to be a healthy person just physically and mentally as well. That was a very cool thing to have somebody talk about. And you can follow him actually at DJ Morse Code, DJ Morse Code on Instagram as well as SoundCloud. All right, here we go. Opening set, special guest Morse Code. Let's have a good time. And uh, any feedback, as always, let us know. All right, what's up, everybody? This is King Mose, and I'm with my boy, John, the producer. And we have a very, very special guest, a longtime bud, homie, awesome DJ, music man, SF to LA is where you can find him. DJ Morse Code, everybody. Hey. hey. Air horns and all that. How are you, my friend? Excellent. Yeah, you really are. Man. <laughs> You're a very positive, life is good, man, type of guy. Splendid. Yeah, splendid. That's why I wanted to have you on the show. And also, you're a smart guy. I mean, every time we hang out, we have really cool talks and we... I don't know, we talk about real things. Well, gee willikers. Well, you're a smart guy. You're an educated man, and you're educated yourself. So I think that you know makes you a very appropriate guest. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah, yeah. So you live in LA currently, and you've been there for what, 10 years? Yeah, just crossed the 10-year mark, actually, in LA. Yeah, man. I mean, and we'll get into this for sure, but I think... What's another thing that's fascinating about you is that you've been able to kind of find your own little space and lane and keep true to yourself, I guess, because I think that yeah. might be a problem for a lot of people in any industry or especially entertainment in L.A. Yeah. So give me kind of the boilerplate story of you. Like, 
your origins. I know San Francisco, I know you came from like a pretty supportive musical background or they get a really cool upbringing and in terms of just being exposed to stuff. Give me a rundown. And yeah, for sure. Up. Grew up on 23rd and Dolores, right in the city. Both my parents are like, you know, it's like the, I feel like I'm going into the classic, like surrounded by music at a young age. <laughs> were, you, are you, were you that guy? I wasn't I mean, that guy. So kind of, I mean, both my parents were like really into music and kind of cool, different ways. My mom was all into like new wave and like talking heads and she was like a funky artist. And then my dad was like really into like Sly and the Family Stone and like Motown and just like Stevie Wonder and kind of educated me on all, on all that. And so it was a really just eclectic musical influence coming from both my parents. And then just like the neighborhood and like culturally, I just feel like San Francisco was because we're talking like, you know, late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s, still sort of in the heyday of like what you know, has always made San Francisco really unique, just funky, like, you know, just freaks everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I mean, I grew up down the street from like Dolores Park, you know what I mean? Like in the nineties, like, I don't know. It was just a lot. Uh, yeah. And then I was just kind of soaking it all up as far as like local rap and like, I don't know, just all kinds of stuff, I guess, just sort of like this big tapestry of like different sounds that, you know, definitely influenced me. And I remember listening to like mix shows on KML past my bedtime as early as like seven, eight years old. Oh, wow. That was the first moment I remember thinking like, how is there no breaks in between these songs? Like, how are they doing that? I just thought it sounded so cool. And like, yeah, I don't know. So it was a kind of like a mixture of Dolores hippies trying to sell you dirt weed. So for people <laughs> that don't know, Dolores Park in, in this time was... Was it wild? It was just, it wasn't, was it dangerous after like sundown? Uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes even during the day, people okay. would get jacked like on the train and shit, right. like on the J. Okay. Just, just rolling through Dolores Park. And then I like how you said the train, try to train in the background. Bammer weed and shit. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's still, well, not anymore because San Francisco, everyone has like free weed or not like a dispensary card. But yeah. yeah, we're talking about sketchy Dolores Park vibes and then San Francisco just kind of being a lot more open and diverse. Yeah. And Kamiya, which I think for me too, I think a lot of people in the Bay Area was such like this crazy like resource for us. So like the yeah. way New Yorkers had Hot 97 or, or Kiss FM and LA had all the LA radio shows like K-Day and you know, later like Mike Nardone we had yeah. Cameo so the first thing I remember hearing was uh, the Buddy remix the De La Soul Buddy remix oh, it's like right. one of my earliest childhood memories of just being like wig blown back like what is this especially towards the end the Prince Paul section oh the din -din dictionary <laughs> is very necessary all that like in a hip hop song and I was like what is yeah. this I was just obsessed yeah I think that so resonates with you your current style just your your whole vibe <laughs> I get why you are who you are cause yeah. like that cause to me I'd be like okay this is a little silly at the end I get it I, I you know it's creative I appreciate it but that was your like this is what I like just that cut and paste vibe and like everything being on beat you know, like all the samples and like cut really like funkily. <laughs> is, that, is that even the adjective? It, it's, it is. Uh, for you, yes. Funkily cutting in things yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. All that combined, like those mixed shows and yeah, and all the stuff my parents were listening to in the neighborhood. And it's hard to sort of like break it down into like bullet points. Yeah. No, it's just no. this big like tapestry. It's a time. Yeah. Cultural okay. tapestry. Yeah, cause you know? I, I think that's a lot of people like when they're going through something great, like a period, they're not really trying to like document every single moment. They're just trying to enjoy it and be present. And they don't actually, no one, no one's really like aware that this is going to end or this is going to change. You're just like, yeah, I'm here. I got, I got homework and I'm going to play <laughs> basketball 
I'm gonna go yeah. dunk on somebody and then go work at behind the post office. Or right. that's that was you, right? Yeah, I mean, I played basketball in high school, and I went to Urban High School, which is like a block from like Hay Ashbury. Was that like a kind of creative up. school, like a hub for? Yeah, kinda. I mean, it was like a school that started back in the '60s and was very progressive, and like you call your teachers by their first names. And what? <laughs> was this college? Damn, Just like, dude. like I'll finish my homework later, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, but like I have mixed feelings about that. Oh yeah, and they didn't have grades. They you just get a you just. I'm, not, a, I'm not even allowed. I'm just like what? No, it's yeah. funny. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. You get a GPA at the end of the year, and I, I kind of have mixed feelings about that. To be honest, I think I actually would have benefited from more traditional, just like <laughs> grades and shit. It's not for everybody, you know. I mean, I was always just kind of a space cadet in school, anyways. Like. I did well at the things I was genuinely interested in. And then I just felt like it wasn't worth my time to like, <laughs> do anything else. I wasn't the best student. And I was always just like spacing out, like I just head in the clouds. And I think it was partly, you know, spoke to like where my interests were and where I was kind of heading career wise. Even at a really young age, I just knew there was something that I wanted to do that I couldn't quite like put my finger on it. You know, now when I look back on it, it makes sense that like things like those late night mix shows were drawing me in because it was like I was already kind of on this path of like, this is what I want to do. But yeah, anyways, uh, Urban High School on Page Street, like a block from Haight-Ashbury and so that was really cool because that was like still a really funky, like weird time era of Hate Street. And a lot of the stores that were opening on Hate Street around that time, like in the late 90s, like first one that pops in my head is like Red Five, for example. Like those kind of stores ended up sort of to me being the kind of blueprint of what you see now as far as these like massively successful boutiques like Supreme. So, well, obviously, you know, Supreme had started in New York and they were already doing their thing by that time. But in San Francisco, you know, like True, Red Five, these places were popping up and there was this more of this commodification of a certain type of culture that was starting to happen. And um, my senior year of high school, I interned <laughs> at uh, Behind the Post Office. Uh, this is kind of like pre, we, I guess for the listeners, this is like pre-streetwear. What was actually really funny about Behind the Post Office is that when it first opened up, it was straight up like graffiti magazines, like spray paint cans, mixtapes, pre-streetwear, but like t-shirts with like cool designs on them and shit and then they weren't selling anything but they just have like a bunch of kids posted up in their store okay so just a drug hanging front? out but no not a drug <laughs> front but they just weren't selling anything like we were just broke kids that would just come in and be like flip through the magazines and like you know listen to mixtapes or like even if we bought a mixtape or two it wasn't enough to like support the store and then within a few years like the dude who was running the place like his wife completely tricked it out into like a women's boutique. like clothing yeah boutique, like, okay clothing store. yeah i kind of remember and that. that's how they like stayed afloat after uh -huh. that initial so era. are you telling me there's no money in graffiti cans and <laughs> spray paint tips yeah, and I mean, other stuff like It's that. kind of funny. Like, I mean, even right by where I grew up on 24th Street, they had the bomb hip hop shop. Oh, wow. Because like I the bomb hip hop label yes, had a physical yes. I location. went to that store a couple times. That was like walking distance from that like my parents' spot. house where I grew up. It's kind of same deal over there. Like I can still remember it in my head, like walking in there and being like, oh my God, like 13 years old walking in and they had like Pumas with fat laces, like you know, 12 inches for sale and like alcoholics t-shirts and like just dope shit. But like they couldn't really keep it afloat, especially I feel like in Noe Valley of all places. Yeah. <laughs> I went to the bomb shop and I remember I freaked out on all the stickers they had. Yeah. Bought like a show in AG, a main source and a red man. And I put that on like my, um, my trapper keeper would at school. Yeah. And I always make sure I put the trapper keeper on top of my books to make sure everyone would see it. Like, yo, I'm a <laughs> hip hop. But this, this is a time when like you had to be really resourceful and really seek out hip hop culture. Yeah. Now you have to like do that just to avoid it. It's almost, it's, it's inescapable. But I remember like yeah. going to, not to mention we're talking about like pre-internet days too. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that too, that too. But I remember yeah. like having to search out, like driving to different Safeways in my 
city to find, oh, this one carries a source magazine. That's the good Safeway. You know, like <laughs> today, today it's unheard of. Like what's yeah. a magazine? Or now <laughs> what's a magazine? Yeah. It's like true. Like this very novel, like quarterly that's all like, you know, pristine and fly. But yeah, totally. Yes. We are showing our age, but letting people know that there was an era that you had to really give a shit to be into this type of music. I mean, on some outlier shit, I think that we actually benefited a lot from being in that particular window of time, sort of coming of age in the last moment of sort of pre-internet, you know, actually go seek out specific things like, I don't know, just like you have to be in the know to find certain things, yeah. you know? Well, actually, that's, that's funny you said the word outlier. That's kind of something you've mentioned. And I kind of see you as that guy. And I mean that with all respect because just kind of your taste in music and you being a DJ as a full-time person in LA, is that kind of, that? do you agree with Do you see yourself as like an outlier? I mean, yeah, like, I, you know, I think it's kind of funny because like it's the most classics just sort of like book you buy at the airport and then like kind of make yourself feel smart by reading it. <laughs> outlier? <laughs> well, like I, I love Malcolm Gladwell. I think he's incredible. I just think it's kind of funny because you could be accused of being a little bit basic. Just like, have you read The Tipping Point? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's still to me like super valuable, like contribution to, to culture, his books. But anyways, I, uh, outliers I really identified with for sure, because it made me think about the sort of like window of time of coming of age in that last sort of pre-internet moment, going to the record store and like spending hours like digging and tracking down certain records and like not having this massive amount of information at your disposal at any moment, you know, like now it's crazy to think of just like, take your phone out and be like. Oh, what's that one sample or whatever but like yeah. back then we were just like you know on a mission just like out in the world trying to find stuff you know it made san francisco way more of like a regional specific i mean there's always going to be a regional specific kind of flavor here it's just like in the dna of the city but back then i feel like it was a little more pronounced and i think you know when i talk to some of my la friends who grew up in la they're like yeah you know like i think skateboarding kind of ties into it too because san francisco is such a skateboarding mecca but, you know, people would be like, yeah, we got to go to up to SF and go to these spots. Like, we got to hit these spots. We got to go skateboarding over here and go, you know, record shopping over here. And like, yeah, I don't know. There was something about that was really special for that time. But I think having that as sort of a foundation of musical knowledge is, to me, I feel like it's it made it sort of ingrained more so like into my brain just being able now even to recite certain i don't know record labels like jazz musicians things like that like i feel like because i learned from digging and really looking at the records and stuff i can't even imagine you know I, i'm sure i sound like back in my day no no but no, i think i think these are <laughs> but things i can't that imagine are... learning all that stuff not the way i did you know what i mean i can't imagine just sitting at a computer all day and being like yeah i'm just looking at this guy <laughs> <laughs> well that, that's funny well i think that's i think regardless of era or you know field of creativity that's something that kind of cuts across that kind of focus and that dedication and like, I'm going to give up, you know, hanging out or doing other shit to go and, you know, either spend time looking at records or researching, you know, film lenses and stuff like that. Yeah. Gets caring about your craft. And then now, you know, I feel like it's the best of both worlds because my attitude with, you know, it sounds like I'm partially, I'm looking down on like, if I had had to learn all that stuff, like by looking at a computer, but now I sit at home like, you know, just like digging through Spotify and I'm like, yeah. this is the best. I'm at the record store, but I'm at home. <laughs> That's funny. That's one of the things I want to talk to you about. I think you have a very interesting relationship with technology. I'm like super gung-ho on like Instagram and SoundCloud and like message boards, which we kind of met on the Stone yeah. message board a little bit. Damn, yeah. that sounds so lame, but it's true. <laughs> And then you've always been kind of very distant with technology. Is that... I'm like the dude in the crew that's always like, I don't even know what that's about. Like, whatever. Like, that's what I was like with Serato in the beginning. 
And then like I got Serato and like I have Serato to thank really, you know, at the end of the day for like launching my career with regards to like traveling to go different places to DJ. I like kind of missed the last moment in time where people were really lugging around boxes and boxes of records like all over the place. Like, play- I mean, you know, nowadays, of course, it's kind of coming back and it's kind of fun to bring records to certain gigs like out a of town and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But in general, you know, in that mid 2000s era, I have Serato to thank for like, yeah, being able to do that. But it's funny because I was kind of like out of everybody I knew in San Francisco, I was one of the last people to get it and one of the last people to embrace it. Yeah, even now, though, like you're someone on social media. You're not like heavy active. My thing with like, yeah, that's cool. I love it. I think it makes you it makes you again. It's part of your story. I think it's. I feel like my habits are funny like that. I'm pretty much all or nothing with a lot of stuff like with regards to like I'll kind of procrastinate learning new technology until I sort of have to. And then I'll learn the ins and outs of it. Kind of. You know what I mean? And and then social media, I don't know if that necessarily translates to, but I can see what you mean, kind of. No, it's dope, man. I mean, (laughs) you you're better off, trust me. Like, get away from the the beast, because otherwise you're going to be, like, you know, stuck on it, and that's not not what's up. Yeah, I mean, you know, shout out to the memers out there. Hey, man. Meme gang, yeah. I definitely laugh at all that stuff, but, like, when I think about, like, jumping into that pool, I'm like, nah. Yeah. Because I'm just, like I said, all or nothing. I feel like I I I would start doing that, and then I would be like, I got to do, like, 15 a day, you know what I mean? (laughs) And I was just like, my life would be over. (laughs) Dude, you can picture you in your apartment, like sweating, like trying to figure out this meme. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's got to be perfect. It's not dank enough. This meme's not dank enough. No, I can't do it. It's not dank enough. (laughs) It's not dank enough. That's definitely, that's definitely a phrase to use in the real world. So speaking of technology, you said the whole traveling thing. Uh, Another thing I want you to talk about is... You were my first homie that got signed to the agency. I think that yeah. that's something that people may bring up with you a lot. Yeah. And I feel you've had a kind of interesting kind of outcome relationship with that whole world. Mm-hmm. Tell me, yeah, I mean, if I'm, I'm not on an agency at all, so I don't know how that feeling is. But tell me how that started and what were you thinking and how did it actually come out? Like, what was your experience while yeah. going through that? Basically, it kind of happened overnight. And like, this is like, yeah, mid-2000s. And I just kind of was like, all right, this is a big opportunity for me. So... I'm just going to go with this and kind of just see what happens. And, you know, that's how I even ended up in L.A., just like packing all my stuff in a U-Haul and just moving to L.A. Like, here goes nothing, you know. But having that sort of shot, like, all right, here's your shot, like, to be a part of this thing. You know, now when I look back on it, like, I wouldn't, you know, I have zero regrets with regards to how it all went down. At the time, though, it was a bit of a struggle as far as how I felt like my identity was sort of changing because, Growing up in San Francisco and being a part of this, like, you know, like being so influenced by the turntablist scene, but also like the record digging scene and like just the underground music culture of the Bay Area, you know, then all of a sudden being thrust into this like ultra commercial L.A., like Hollywood vibe and being like, you're going to Vegas, you're going here, you're going there. Like, you got to play hits. you know. (laughs) And so I sort of approached it from this standpoint of like, okay, let me take technically what I've learned as a DJ and sort of apply it to this music they want me to play. And that's how I'll kind of like retain my fundamental identity. You know what I mean? And that started out all okay. But then I did kind of get burned out on that, like after a few years and around the late 2000s is kind of like now when I look back on it, probably the moment where I was having sort of the biggest identity crisis, like sort of on a downslope of like, okay, like I'm, I'm doing well as far as like, full-time DJing, but like, 
what if I compromise to achieve this goal? Yeah. You know, like, oh, wow. So you like, kind of like a soul searching type of era. Yeah. I had kind of a moment there where I was like, whoa, like, have I just completely lost everything that kind of made me like me to begin with? Like, as far as like funky, eclectic, all these things I felt like were kind of falling by the wayside, you know, and I was becoming sort of more and more like pulled into this commercial world. What year, year said this whole kind of soul searching crossroads? Well, like, yeah, because basically I first started going to LA a lot more in the mid 2000s and then moved there in, in 2007. And then I was like part of that agency. And I can was, you say that? Is, I, is, that is that okay? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, uh, Dexstar, like the initial Dexstar agency, which now is like an artist more traditional, like just artist management thing. But back then it was like DJ AM basically putting his homies on and putting on people that he kind of like was down with in different cities, kind of all over the States. He was trying to build this sort of like super team of DJs. Right. And I was like one of the youngest and one of the like least known of the crew. So I felt a lot of pressure to kind of like, okay, how can I be down with these guys and this sort of like learn about what it was all about. And at the same time, play shows all the time. And so that's what I'm talking about. I kind of like within a couple of years of having arrived in LA and having sort of hit the ground running, doing all this stuff. Oh nine really is kind of when I think I had sort of hit a low point as far as like working constantly and that's good. But then at what cost, you know, like I feel like I'm losing part of myself. How do I kind of get back to what I'm really all about and just feel more like inspired and happy with, you know, where I'm at. And, uh, I don't know. I guess like I just was organically sort of pulled back into like aspects of the culture that I really love. Uh, that was around the time I started like hanging out with like the first thing that comes to mind is like going to the do over a lot. You know, the first do over I went to was like 2008, like Cosmo Baker was playing and um, I was like, holy shit, this is like where I need to be. This you know is what, what I mean? this is what I've been missing the whole time. Yeah. Like I've been kind of missing this part. Uh -huh. It was kind of a nostalgic thing for me. Like I was like, Oh yeah. Like this reminds me of like what it's really all about. And this is the part of the culture I love, you know, the other contemporaries on the agency, other DJs that you knew, they look at you all crazy. Like, what are you doing? What are you walking away from? Like, keep <laughs> doing it. Just do it. Are they, are they I all? think so a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I mean, because I wasn't necessarily that established at that point either. So I think that they were, partly, I mean, and I could be totally projecting. I mean, for all I know, they just didn't give a, give a fuck either way. <laughs> but, but I would suspect there was probably, yeah, a little bit of kind of like, Hey dude, like you're talented. You're kind of on the up and up. Like, you know, why don't you just go a little bit harder in this realm? What's keeping you from doing that? And at the time I wasn't even really consciously thinking about it that much. I just sort of let the aspects of the culture that I love kind of like, you know, draw me back in to that side of things. And, oh yeah. And then on top of it, what just popped in my head was kind of like, you know, <laughs> what was really trendy on at the time too, was like sort of the rise of EDM, 128 beats per minute, everything all the time. And Shout like, out every DJ that survived, <laughs> that is still working, that kind of went through that yeah. fucking gauntlet of So it was a lot to navigate, you know what I mean? It was a lot to sort of like figure out and like, I just kind of like let myself be drawn back into aspects of the culture that I was missing, you know? And I think that's how I was able to sort of come out of that moment in time, um, sort of having, you know, maintained who I am really, you know, like, so heading into the aughts or whatever, <laughs> I was able to kind of, yeah, start, like you were saying, kind of carve out my own lane a little bit more like, like, okay, I'm going to go to the, some of these places. I'm going to try to do this as much as I can on my own terms, but then I'm also going to do like cool 
gigs on the side and places where I can feel like I can really be myself. And I feel like I've continued to ride that wave into this, like where we are now. But like I said, I wouldn't change a thing about it because I've been able to, you know, maintain my true identity. And and I think that's coming through now more than ever, really. Yeah. You say the word happiness and that's not, yeah, that's not yeah. a mistake. That's people forget that shit, man. Like it's really easy to forget when you're just working and working and working and like, you're getting paid and you're like, this is what it's all about, right? Let's just getting paid. <laughs> I'm getting paid. And like, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait, what happened to my soul? <laughs> yeah. And you're just not, and you're miserable and yeah. you become either curmudgeon or you fall into substance yeah. abuse or. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's bad if you're like rolling up to a gig and you're already like, Ugh, like yeah, <laughs> this is going to suck. Uh, you know, sometimes DJing is just work, but there's a difference between, oh, I gotta go DJ. I'd rather just chill with my girlfriend or my friends or whatever that's one thing, but you know, have like your soul crushed. Like, fuck. Yeah. I think so many of us have all sort of experienced this in one form or another and people continue to sort of like navigate and figure out how to maintain certain aspects of who they are with, you know, steadily working and remaining employed. And like, how do you balance all those things, you know? And, um, yeah, you know, there's certain people I really look up to that. I feel like the kind of people I look up to that, continue to inspire me are the ones that, you know, maintain their identity while simultaneously like succeeding in the industry and, you know, um, carving out their own lane. I mean, I think that's, that's what it's all about at the end of the day, especially when you just look at like how music is such a subjective thing too, you know, like, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> music is, is a subjective thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I guess I just opened up a whole other can of worms. Yeah, that's that, where we're here. This is the worm <laughs> central, baby. Open it up. Yeah. You no, know, I think the whole thing about happiness, and I kind of, that made me think of the term self care. I think that's one thing that, you know, I'm guilty of, and maybe you as well. A lot of DJs is trying to, like, you know, go and like get hell fucked up at our gigs or like, you know, mm -hmm. be roll up hella high. And I think that's one thing that I think people don't really talk about in general. Like, you know, yo, this shit takes a toll on us. We mm. have to kind of take care of ourselves. Otherwise we're going to be alcoholic burnouts or, <laughs> you know, we've fried our brain a little too much and yeah. things that's not happening. For is, sure. Is that something that you're kind of mindful of when you go and DJ? Cause you know, we all drink and that, that's fine. Or yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny cause like that era I was just talking about, where I kind of hit a low point. I think, you know, I had kind of gotten to a point too, where, yeah, I was like drinking a lot more at certain gigs to kind of get through it you know, just to kind of get through it. I didn't really have a moment of necessarily realizing that. But when I think about it now, I was like, yeah, I was pretty unhappy and kind of drinking to get through certain gigs. And like, I think sort of coming out of that and getting back to a, a happy place. <laughs> sounds funny. Like, happy go to your happy place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, dude. But, hey. Yeah, I like to have a good time, but it's about balance. <laughs> it's about balance. You know, it's like, it's about what do you do during the day? You know what I mean? To me, because it's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to just sit at home in like a dark cave and wait for the sun to go down so you can go back to work? <laughs> or are you going to like, you know, Hey, let's go for a hike and get a juice and you know, whatever. And like, I think LA has definitely influenced me in that way too. Cause, good, good, cause LA is just so like health friendly, you know uh, what I mean? A little ridiculous at times, but it's, Oh, I mean, it's way over the top. Yeah. But I mean, if anything too, when I first got there, I was like, geez, everybody's so skinny and good looking. looking. And I need to get in shape. Bro. I like five right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I really need to get in shape. Yeah. I mean, not to mention too, it's like, you know, as the years go by with DJ and can, it's kind of insane when you think about it, like 
how so many aspects of it could be so potentially bad if you don't, yeah, like you said, take care of yourself. It's like you could ruin your back. You know what I mean? It's like, think about what you're doing. All you do is just sit hunched over in front of a computer all day and then go to work and hunch over standing like, turntables, stand there, like do weird shit with your arms for like four or five hours. Uh-huh. Like, like lights like, blaring your face yeah, and speakers like, super loud in your ear. <laughs> And then you're going to ingest like 1,500 calories of just pure sugar. Yeah. And they get all like, oh, what's going on? What's up, baby? Yeah, man. Don't give it a second. It'll start working So, out. yeah, you know, things like, yeah, like stretching and hiking and working out and all these things have, to me, enabled me to have a way more effective just balance in life. You know what I mean? And I think that's really what it's all about, as cliche as it may sound. At the end of the day, just know yourself and know your limits and take care of yourself and have balance. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a good time, especially when you're DJing. Sometimes it can really enhance. Hennessy forever. (laughs) Hennessy more Hennessy. It It can really enhance the fun. Of course, you know, we've all been there, but yeah, it's like, you know, it can be a slippery slope for some, and some people can get carried away. (laughs) And and then then (laughs) the, what I always laugh about is anytime somebody's so drunk and they just think they're killing it so hard and it's like tap on the shoulder like, hey, bro, like you're not killing it. Like you in the fact, water. <laughs> can you fucking reel it in? Yeah. Like, oh, my can, bad. Can you dial it back a little bit? Like, like the time uh, you played Duke. <laughs> I was messing you about this stuff. No, we've all done it. I mean, I, I'll be the first to admit like, damn, I really should have maybe not do that. But I like try to learn. Hey, from you got to live and learn. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why I always say like, no regrets. No, no regrets. No <laughs> but regrets. The, the key is you have to, you have to learn the lesson and absorb it and then actually incorporate it into your life. Yeah. You know, but that's why like when I look back on this last decade, I'm like, Hey, you learn by doing. You yeah. Learn I by survived. Mistakes. You, you learn from those moments in your life where you're like, how did I get here, man? You're like a <laughs> bottle service veteran. Dude. You like those hats, <laughs> bottle service DJ veteran or you know, early aughts EDM veteran or something like that. But you mentioned the whole like, yeah, becoming balanced person, like a real, not just like, what do you do? I just DJ and I just sit and look at music and meeting those type of DJs are like, oh God, you don't have like an actual life outside of just Serato. I think that's one thing I've always admired that you've been like a real person. So outside of DJing clubs, you, you start doing music supervision and also you educate well, you you have an educational background too. Yeah, you're a teacher yeah. at one point, man. Yeah, like when I graduated from college, I was like, okay, I know what I really want to do. I really want to become a full time DJ. But how am I going to do that? I've been DJing in my bedroom for like you know six years. Nobody <laughs> knows who the fuck I am. And that's when I started making inroads into the like San Francisco DJ scene. That was like around the time we met. Yeah. That was like early two thousands. Because I came back from school in like two thousand two. And started just like doing whatever I could to kind of like work my way into the scene. But it's like we both know, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. It obviously pay dues on dues on dues. So I had worked with kids when I was younger. Actually, that's how I saved up to get my first pair of turntables was like working as a camp counselor in the summer. Oh, wow. I just took naturally to it, like just working with kids. And so when I came back from school, I was like, oh, you know, what about maybe teaching? And like, yeah, I was like an elementary school teacher for a couple of years. And it's funny when I think back on it now, because that's the only time I think in life I was young enough to have the energy to like teach all day and then like go out several nights a week and like go hit a few different spots, meet different DJs, try to kind of like network or whatever, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the dirty and then wake word, up the yeah. next day and go, Hey you know. kids. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you yeah. know about <laughs> fibromyalgia or I don't know, <laughs> cells. You could tell I was not a science major in college. So, yeah. <laughs> so then that can, that education bug is still with you. Cause right now yeah. you're teaching where at again? So I started teaching this last year at point blank music school. Okay. Um, and the original point blank is in London, but then they expanded to the States and the first 
school they've opened in the States is in LA at Max Senate Studios in Silver Lake, which is like three minutes from my place. And I had actually gone there initially as a student because I wanted to take an advanced class on on Ableton and then another class on music theory because I was looking to kind of just bolster what I had learned in a very amateur way. With Ableton, it's like it never ends. You just always learn more techniques and tricks and things. And so I went there as a student and I had a great experience and I met some great people. And uh, my friend Jesse, who owns Max Senate Studios, he approached me kind of like on the side when I was there as a student and was saying at that time they didn't have a DJ section of the school yet. But he told me, you know, like we're thinking about expanding to have a DJ, you know, portion of the school. Would you maybe be interested in teaching a class? And he had actually approached me because one summer I'd gone to Tina T's DJ summer camp okay. to kind of like help out there. And he knew about that. So then he had approached me and I was like, you know what? That actually sounds awesome. And then like a whole year went by and I almost kind of forgot about it. And then he was like, hey, do you still want to do that? And I was like, yeah, definitely. Let's do it. So since March, every Wednesday, I've been teaching this DJ class. I taught three terms in total this year, 11 week course. And it's like all day Wednesday. It's like 11 to six. And it's been amazing. Like I loved it. And it's kind of like taken me back to my roots as far as like being an educator. And it's kind of reminded me of like, oh yeah, like I should definitely be doing this. I love teaching, you know, but to be able to teach DJing, you know, it's like combining all these things that I know about. And it's been really great. 11 weeks goes by super quick every time. The curriculum comes down from London from the main school, but then they give me a lot of like leeway to really sort of interpret it as I see fit and kind of like put my own, put my own spin on it. (laughs) Put put a rim shot in in (laughs) post-production. Oh my God. So cheesy. (laughs) But anyways, did he say that to you? You could put your own spin on it, Matt, if you want. Yeah. But it comes in like a, it's in a British accent. So it sounds very like clever and classy. (laughs) But yeah, so uh, it's been really great because it's, you know, it's like they always say with teaching, it makes you better at your own craft and, you know, reminds you about certain things you kind of forgot about maybe, you know what I mean? And and then, you know, in those 11 weeks, I really, I've been amazed at, at how much I've been able to teach these people in, in a limited amount of time. And I've had several students that like, you know, I'm still in touch with that progressed like, super quick that are just amazing. And it's just sort of like, I look at it as this like, temple of enthusiasm. <laughs> Everybody's just like, this is great. And, and, that, and that you probably catch that too then, right? Dude, it's fantastic. It uh-huh. really inspires me. It like, I don't know. Yeah, it's just great. It really kind of put a battery in my back. Uh-huh. No, <laughs> that's year. important, man. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Because yeah. I, I think because we know and we've been those guys at times where we used to be so like jaded and curmudgeoning about DJing. You have to really like fight that and do something. And I think if that's your ticket to kind of like not be that dude, even the better. Um, yeah. It feels good to give back to. It feels like giving back for sure. Sharing knowledge from all these years of doing this. And wow. You know what I mean? It's It yeah. does feel like giving back. It's great. So that little kid that was going to the bomb hip hop store and, and you know, grew merchant early 90s, that information still is as valuable and relevant in 2017 to a bunch of 20 year olds in LA. Right. Which is kind of astounding. Like, yeah. like who knew? Who would have thought? Yeah. Yeah. But it is. And it's great right now. I feel like DJ culture is in a good place right now, too. It's sort of come back around to the things that we love about it are relevant again. Yeah. Whether it's like vinyl, rare grooves, just scratching. Yeah. Like a lot of new music that's coming out is great. Like Mm -hmm. left field beats and like, you know, people having eclectic taste is back, you Mm -hmm. know, in style, I feel like. And, you know, um, yeah, it's been really great, too, because I'll have students that will play music in class where I'm all like 
pulling my phone out. She's like, <laughs> damn, what's that? Uh-huh. Yeah, man. I mean, and I tell my students, like, you You've know. You've made me a student. <laughs> dude, you already knew what I was going to say. And it's like, it's so cheesy, but it's true, man. It's like, I tell my students, I'm like, look, you know, once you set on this path, like, I used to think when I was younger that I would get to a certain point where I'd be like, I just know enough it now. I don't really need to learn anything else. And it's like, no, that's not at all what it is. It's like the whole lifelong student dynamic, you know, music is practically infinite. There's always more to learn about. It's never ending and it shouldn't end. That's our responsibility is to like keep going and keep pushing the culture and digging and just keep it moving. You know? Oh man. Two things before we wrap up. We were texting a couple of days ago and you were describing somebody and you mentioned the phrase pushing DJ culture forward. And then that to me like resonated so much, you know, thinking about, you know, like, or the, you mean contribute to the, yeah, culture. contribute to the culture. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually add something. And I yeah. think that to me was like, wow. I think we're at the point where we're trying to figure out what are we going to do next? What, what's our role? And thinking of those terms, that was just such, that was like a gift, like reading that. Also kind of reflecting on like this year, you know, Combat Jack, DJ Seth, Panda Functions. These are people that definitely did that. So I think if, yeah. so I think just the timeliness of that was really important. Yeah. And then I, one question I've asked all the guests so far is what do you want to do next now? I mean, do you have that fear of that? Or are you just kind of making it up as you go along or is it going to be in something else? What do you, what's next for you think bigger picture? Well, I got really back into producing music, which I had kind of taken a bit of a break from. Oh, we need to talk about and pools. Yeah. yeah. Damn, <laughs> it's talk, all good. It's all good, baby. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I kind of went into this year, like doing a little bit of soul searching and had purposely kind of taken a little break from, you know, working on music because I was recalibrating some stuff and then, yeah, started teaching, started doing some music supervision stuff. The gigs have been really steady. And then by the fall, my buddy who teaches production at Point Blank, Sweats and Clank, he kind of stepped to me. He was like, dude, where's the beats? Where's the new beats, bro? <laughs> uh-huh. And I was kind of like, just the way he said it, like, I was like, damn, what am I going to say to that? Yeah. And I was just like, I had a session with him, like sort of a refresher, like he was showing me certain things and I got super hyped and I just like started just making new beats and I'm back in that zone. So, I mean, honestly, I always tell people it's good to have short term and long term goals, but shit right now like i just feel really blessed to like wake up every day and it's just all music all the time whether it's just music supervision making playlists for restaurants and stuff teaching you know dj gigs and then making beats and just chilling and like you know i feel really fortunate for that so yeah i'm just kind of riding that wave man you know like the short-term goal is just work on a bunch of music make a whole gang of demos let's just like stack them all up and then Stack those tracks. (laughs) Stack those tracks. And Mm -hmm. then long term is more like taking all that stuff and figuring out where certain demos fit, whether it's into like my project with Mike B, Pools, or some solo stuff, you know what I mean? Or like, who knows, create a new alias that (laughs) note and keep it really anonymous on purpose. (laughs) Course mode. You know, I mean, I just, you know, if anything, I've learned just like, don't, especially when it comes to making music, like don't overthink it, just make shit. You know what I mean? Just like. Ride the wave. <laughs> I love that, man. Yeah. And that final question, if you're walking in like onto a talk show or you're about to get go work out, you get hyped or what is your walk on music? What song would it be? Man, I'm always so bad at these kind of questions gotcha, because, gotcha, because gotcha. I feel like I listen to so much shit. Uh-huh. So I can't even think, dude. Uh I mean, the first thing that popped in my head was LTD Back in Love. Fine. <laughs> back <laughs> in <laughs> Love again. You walk, uh, the, the, uh, Plaintiff Rise, Nathaniel Morris. Dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun, dun. 
<laughs> right on, man. Any uh, shout outs or plugs, social media, things you we should look out for? This is going to air in a little bit, but I think... Word. Yeah, but... I mean, everything on social media is uh, DJ Morse code. So DJ M-O-R-S-E-C-O-D-E. Whether it's Instagram, Twitter... The things you're always um, on all the time. <laughs> When's yeah, the last right. time you tweeted, dude? <laughs> you know, Twitter is like, yeah, I, man. I feel like I went through a phase on Twitter where I was like drunk at gigs, like hearing certain lines and songs and just like putting them as tweets and like people kind of like that for a while. <laughs> and then I was like linking my Instagram to my Twitter, which I kind of stopped doing because I'm like, oh, that's kind of played out and weird. Like, why even do that? And now I don't really know. Well, I'm, I'm glad you plugged all your Instagram. <laughs> before. Be, be on the lookout for some late night drunk tweets uh, hey. coming at you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's uh, that's pretty much everything. Like, yes, yeah, like SoundCloud, MixCloud, it's all DJ Morse code. And then the pool SoundCloud is uh, Pools Music. P-O-O-L-S Music, M-U. Yes, I see. Okay, and, uh, and that's with Mike B. L.A. Don Dada, awesome guy. <laughs> and we have some. Uh, yeah, we're we're kind of like back on our back on our shit. So be on the lookout yeah, for some Puels Santanas. Pool. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's going Puels Santana. All right, thank you so much for listening, my man. Morse code. Nathaniel, my good homie. Thank you much for coming through and dropping some gems, man. Thank you, yeah. my dude. Yeah. It was fun. All right, appreciate it, appreciate it. Yeah.